We're going to look at how these dynamics are playing out in our national politics and how the forces of Christian nationalism are likely to impact where we are headed with both political parties. So controversial pastor Doug Wilson was just featured on Meet the Press, like the real Meet the Press. In northern Idaho's dunes of grains and grass, a battle without bullets over the direction of a town. I believe that what's happening in Moscow is a microcosm of what's happening all across the country. So I want to talk about Christian nationalism today, but not just that. I want us to think a little bit broader, a little bit more deeply about how we as Christians deal with the political world. How involved should we be? Should we be against politics? Should we be involved in politics? Should you be running for office? How involved are Christians supposed to be? So we're going to compare Three different views today. One from Al Mohler, who says stuff like this. And we have a responsibility to make certain that Christians understand the stewardship of the vote, which means the discipleship of the vote, which means the urgency of the vote, the treasure of the vote. And they need to understand that insofar as they do not vote or they vote wrongly, they are unfaithful. Another view is that Doug Wilson view. And the third view, well... It's the third way, according to Tim Keller. We'll be talking about all these views in dealing, finally, with the elephant in the room, and maybe the donkey too. My name is Dean, and welcome to Theo Live, a live YouTube show airing every Monday where we talk about theology, church, and culture. Now let's get into it. Hey, welcome to Theo Live, episode 48, I believe. Uh, today is going to be an interesting topic because I mean, politics, right? Like everyone, you are, you are either excited, like over the moon, excited that Dean is finally, finally talking about politics. Uh, and some of you are getting your ammo ready because <laughs> you might already know where I line up politically but others of you are just probably like oh man i'll catch i'll catch next week's episode <laughs> like i don't want to get into the weeds about politics uh, uh, i'm not interested i'm out so th there are extremes when it comes to this even on how we interact with it some of us are super excited to be talking about politics and some of us me included are more like do we have to well this week i feel like we have to because it's not just like us in our rooms talking with, you know, some folks maybe in our living room and having a conversation about how involved should Christians be in politics. And it's not just, you know, like at church every once in a while talking about things like abortion, uh, talking about uh, what what is marriage according to the Bible, things like that. Now we're talking about how Christians can rule in government now. Some people are going to come to the stream and they're going to be like, like they see Doug Wilson on the cover. You, you see Christian nationalism, you know, all over the place. And they're going to say, all right, well, you know, be very careful about what you say. Let me be clear. I am not an expert on this. All right. I never claimed to be an expert on anything except like last week or yeah, last week I was talking about trolls. I'm kind of an expert on internet trolls. I know how they function. Um, so I'm an expert on that today. I'm not an expert. I am not a politician. I am someone who have, has been a senior pastor who is involved in ministry, who is a Christian who thinks deeply about how they interact with things. And I am coming to the table with that. That's, that's my background. 
Now, I also come from a background of politics being like the end game, like Rush Limbaugh on all the time. I mean, like, not just like we didn't listen to music in the car. Now, when dad was driving, we're listening to Rush Limbaugh. We're, we're listening to Michael Nedved. Uh, we're talking, you know, all kinds of politics all the time. I remember when Sean Hannity was just on the radio. Okay. Like I remember those times. That's like my background. So all that being said, let's talk a little bit about some of this stuff. Now, uh, I referenced in the, in the intro, uh, meet the press doing a spot on Doug Wilson. You can go back in other streams where I talk about Doug Wilson. Uh, he's controversial to say the least. Like that, that is like the most mild way that you could put it with Doug Wilson. He says all kinds of stuff uh, about men and women, uh, about sex, uh, about all kinds of things, cuss words. Like, oh, all, it's, it's a whole thing. You could look at other past streams to talk about that. But today we're talking about his politics because he was featured on Meet the Press, which is a big deal for a Christian to be platformed in that way, I think speaks volumes to how important people think this is. Now, there are some who are saying, well, NBC just put him on there so that he could be the boogeyman, so that he can make Christian nationalism, whatever that is, we'll talk about what that is in a moment, uh, but to make it look bad. Uh, they put the scariest guy that they could find. And while I do think that maybe a part of that is true from the producer's point of view, from a certain point of view, uh, I, I think that they had him on there because he's the most prominent. Like there are tons of people in the Christian world who promote some form of Christian nationalism. Now, some of it is entirely racist. Like that just like, I'm sorry if that offends you, but like there's a whole section of Christian nationalists who are just focused on being, you know, America number one, America first, you know, and uh, they're just, they're racist toward other um, maybe, maybe you wouldn't, yeah, the race would be a part of it, but also just prejudice, uh, against, uh, different nationalities and saying that North America is number one, because up here in Canada, we, we usually get like, just like looped into all this stuff. We, we're, we're busy doing other things, but somehow it, it's, it's happened up here too. We've got quite a few people who are, uh, just basically doing the Christian nationalism thing. Um, but he is by far the most prominent of anyone that you're going to find. He has his own publication uh, through Canon Press. He is an internet phenomenon. Like, it's, it's just the way it is. So I do think that they were right in picking someone who would come from that camp uh, and to interview him because he is the most prominent. He is the one that most people look up to, uh, within this movement, as far as, you know, some kind of, some kind of intellectual figurehead, they look to him. Uh, so this is going to be the first view that we're going to look at. We're going to be looking at three different views today. And the first one is Doug Wilson's, uh, Christian nationalism. Now, uh, the meet the press episode didn't really deal with Christian nationalism. It was kind of weird um, because a lot of what they dealt with was actually just like Doug Wilson being a pastor. Like the, the, like some of the things like granted again, I'm not a fan, not a fan. I would say, don't listen to Doug Wilson. Like I don't recommend him as a teacher. I would condemn him 
as a teacher. I don't think that he's biblically qualified to be an elder. I don't think that he is leading his congregation well. Uh, and I think that's clearly evidenced by his own actions and words. Uh, so that's where I stand on him. Uh, but the question, the line of questioning that they had for him didn't really deal with Christian nationalism. It was more of, hey, why are you trying to reach your town for Jesus? And I, th I think that shows the weakness of the interviewer, like that she could have done a little bit more research and uh, at least known what questions to ask rather than it seemed like she was just interviewing any pastor, any conservative pastor, and got about the right answers that you would get from any conservative pastor. Now, with that, there was a little bit more mixed in because you kind of had uh, in the episode, and you can go and find it after the stream, um, but in the episode, you basically had Doug Wilson in this interview. It was like 10 minutes. It was a big section of the episode. Uh, but then you kind of had it interlaced with um, opposing views from other people. And the opposing views were not great. Um, like, again, I, I, I wish that they would have found like some like actual Christians to interview. Uh, I don't know about like the people within the town, but the pastors that they uh, had interviewing him uh, or uh, opposing him, like, I mean, like universalists and like just way out there. And it like both the women, the female pastors were like, it's not just that they were female pastors. It's that they were so far off the theological reserve that I wish that they had someone a little bit like, more mainstream toward evangelicalism also talking about that issue. Um, but maybe they just didn't have the time. I don't know, but I don't think it was, I don't think it was discussed as well as it could have been. So they didn't really go at it other than just talking about how, uh, Wilson was trying to make Moscow, Idaho into a Christian town, um, which any pastor is trying to do right any pastor who believes in the Great Commission believes that they are supposed to go and reach the people. But there were quite a few people that were looking at different things, different aspects of uh, Christ Church's ministry there in Moscow and asking some questions. And I thought those questions were pretty good. Um, but most of that was like how combatant you should be. And so what we're going to talk about, these three different views, this first one with Doug Wilson uh, while we're not really going to dive too much into what they actually said on Meet the Press, um, because like I said, I don't think that they really discussed it all that well, we're going to talk about what Doug Wilson has taught. And there's one specific blog that he wrote that I think kind of summarizes his main ideas, and we'll look at that in just a minute. And then we'll get into some of the other views here. But I definitely want to say hi to those who are here in the chat. And if you're watching on the replay, hey, every, every Monday at around noon, we go live for this show and I do other live streams throughout the week. Uh, but you know, you know, come on Monday around noon, you can hop into the chat and we can actually interact and we can uh, hear what you have to say about these things. Uh, Luke Daly is here and says, I just want to say this before you even get started. The view that John Piper holds is the correct one. Boom. Uh, he's, he's got maybe an unhealthy love and affection for John Piper. Um, no, he, he loves Piper. Uh, we're friends. So, uh, Ed is here. Hey man, uh, Dr. Moeller to me seems the most balanced. Okay. We'll talk about it. 
And he says, I don't always agree with Mueller on everything, though. That's that's important because they're going to be we got a clip. You know, I showed a little bit of it before. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about that clip. Man, that was crazy. Iron Man 67 is here. Hello at work, so I might have to dip out. No worries. Frank Hodges is here. This is the second premiere I've caught today and my second of all time. I'm on a roll. Way to go, man. You know, like let's, uh, I got, hey, I'm talking about a few things here while I'm just kind of interacting with you guys. Um, you guys are helping out my channel quite a bit. Uh, we've been asking, I have been asking, uh, for donations to my PayPal to, if, if you're interested in helping out the channel and improving some things like, Hey, we got a, we got a new stream deck and that's, that's because of you. That's because you guys have given and, uh, we're pretty, pretty close to getting uh, a new lens as well. So if you feel led, if you've appreciated, uh, what I do here on my YouTube channel and would like to help me elevate it a little bit in hopes of reaching more people, uh, there's a link, uh, for my PayPal down below. Um, but now, now I can do things like this. When, when Frank Hodges says I'm on a roll, we can, we can, we can hit buttons a lot easier. So that's kind of fun. Uh, you have given me way too much power with these buttons, guys. Uh, Sean is here. Uh, says he agrees. Whatever John Piper says, that's that's what he believes. No. Uh, Sean, I, I watched that episode of Meet the Press. While they scoffed at taking the Bible serious, which I disagreed with, they did point out the harm of Doug's views and actions. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about some of the dangers that I think they presented the dangers that they presented were good. It's just that they didn't really interact with the the whole idea of Christian nationalism. They just showed a couple of the dangers in a roundtable uh, discussion, which I think they could have done a lot more. Uh, Proverbs seventeen eleven. Hey Dean, God bless you. Hey man, appreciate that. Uh, Frank, uh, my middle name is Dean. Also, by the way, well now we know his whole name, guys. So you can find him on. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't be a troll. <laughs> uh, but Dean's a pretty great name. All right. Uh, let's, let's look at this article over here. Um, all right. So this is blog may blog. That is Doug Wilson's main avenue of getting his teaching out there other than his YouTube channel. Uh, and so this, this, I think is like the main stuff of Christian nationalism when it comes to, uh, Doug Wilson also forgot to say it before, but, uh, if you are liking this stuff and you like this episode and would like other people to come and hang out in the chat, hit the like button. It tells YouTube to go let people know that we're having a conversation over here. Uh, but let's, let's start digging through this. We're just going to read it and kind of comment as we go through it. Uh, let's, let's make it a little bit bigger. Uh, if you are an evangelical, you believe that Christ gave us the task of proclaiming the gospel of Christ to others in the hope of persuading them to repent of their sins and believe the gospel. So far, pretty good. I could agree with that. If you still have the name evangelical, but you don't believe that anymore, then you don't need to figure out how to respond to those Christians who do still believe the Great Commission, the way Jesus gave it, applies to us today. One of the things you can do is rename whatever the heck it is you're doing, that outreach light stuff, and call it missional. So going on the offensive early, but that's kind of typical for him. And then you can turn around and accuse the old-timey Christians of being Christian nationalists. Sounds pretty bad, right? But before defending Christian nationalism, there really are some appalling and blasphemous images out there in the fever swamps of the screwy right. So, like things like this with pictures of Donald Trump with scripture verses and like switching out 
you know, what clearly is about Jesus for Donald Trump. Like he's, he's saying, Hey, that's pretty messed up too. Um, if you look over to the immediate right, blah, blah, blah. But if you take a look at the image right below that, the one that says the repeal of Roe is all about imposing Christian nationalism and which therefore relegates all responsible pro-lifers in the same category as the nutters, you have to acknowledge that this is the standard operating procedure for the left. From their fever swamps to the very uh, central corridors of all their accumulated power. And this means they have no one to blame but themselves for what is now coming to harvest. So basically what he's saying is like the reason why Christian nationalism, why he's promoting it, why he believes it's necessary is because of what the left, the liberals have done in moving, um, moving the culture so far left that they have to come in and correct it. It's, it's essentially uh, his argument. Um, let's go. Once you use racism and white supremacy and theocracy and handmaid's tales, I don't know who does that, and misogyny, fascism, and hate as all as your catch-all refutations of anything, whatever that impedes your socialist daydreams, you are the one who has emptied all such terms of all their meaning. And once those terms don't mean anything anymore, you can't be surprised that, well, they don't mean anything, at least not to anybody in a debate with you. Once you have flattened everything with your cancel culture steamroller, don't turn to us and complain about how flat it all is. Uh, this is kind of his whole thing. He, he likes to just like throw words and some people think it's really clever. If you do, cool. I just kind of get annoyed with like, all right, how many adjectives can you throw in a sentence? It kind of feels like, minus the inspiration, of course, uh, but it kind of feels like Ephesians 1, where it's just like that one really long sentence. That's kind of how I feel like a lot of Doug Wilson's writing is. But a lot of people really like it. All right, so if you like it, that's on you. Uh, for me, I just kind of like go get to the point. Um, so... There are some crazies on the right, they really are, but the only people who should be allowed to criticize them would be those who believe that dictionaries ought to contain definitions that are basically stable and not susceptible to uh, facile weaponization by the left. Hate is not a family value, whatever said that it, uh, whoever said that it was. This means that our rule of thumb should be that of to qualify as a legitimate critic of right-wing loons. You need to be Ted Cruz or to the right of Ted Cruz. You also need to be the left of Alex Jones. When you have found that sweet spot, what a coincidence it is, too. You find yourself more or less where I am, so welcome. All right, so he kind of just says where he is. Uh... Let's see. Once this agreed uh, is agreed upon, Christian nationalism. So now he's he's getting to the point. <laughs> Christian nationalism, as I will explain below, is a responsible position that a mentally balanced and decent citizen can take. Moreover, it is a position that all consistent Christians need to take. Okay, the, these words are important. <laughs> so, like he's saying that anyone who is a citizen can take this point of view, but all Christians, all consistent Christians, need to take this point of view. Patriotism matters. This is a position that can actually be adopted without garnering that wild glint in your eye, the kind of glint that tells your fellow passengers on the subway to steer clear. So basically, hey... Christians need to take this position. They need to think through it. They need to take this position. And you need to do it without becoming a crazy person. Um, we'll see if that's possible. 
<laughs> uh, Christian nationalism is not the idea that America has replaced Israel as God's chosen nation. None of that nonsense. So that's usually what people talk about when they're talking about this idea of Christian nationalism. Usually they're referencing the idea that you believe that uh, the church has replaced Israel, and so you bring the law into that. And I think that's partly true. Um, but he's saying that's not true. So let's let's look at what he has to say. He quotes C.S. Lewis. Uh, so are you ready for a lucid and level-headed defense of Christian nationalism? Yes. This is what I've been waiting for this entire article. Are you willing to walk with me through the basic arguments? Are you willing to take my hand? Come, let us reason together. Um. I don't like it when people say stuff like that. That's what God said. Uh, a Mother's Day card fiasco. Uh, so again, just like there's so many metaphors that he uses to his points. And nope, it's not important. A biblical requirement. The fact that it is possible for a man to make an idol out of his marriage and family, and it is possible, does not in any way give us permission to abrogate the requirement that a husband love his wife uh, as Christ loved the church. So basically what he's saying here is while you know Christian nationalism can go wrong, that was kind of his point with it, um, you should still do it. Just like how the marriage between a man and a woman can go wrong, but you should continue to do it. Like it doesn't make it like that you should just avoid it. Um, so here, let's, let's go into this one. The same principle applies to nations. I have certain duties and responsibilities toward my own people. These duties are assigned to me in scripture and scripture also helpfully supplies the boundaries of those duties. As the Westminster larger catechism helpfully teaches us, my duty uh, my duties toward my people, my nation, my culture are uh, subsumed under the fifth commandment. We are plainly told to honor our father and mother so that in our days may be long on the earth. And we are also told that whoever loves his father and mother more than Christ cannot be a Christian. Wait a minute. Uh, Augustine taught us that our loved our love and affections must be rightly ordered, and rightly ordering them means that a man must love his wife in sacrificial imitation of how Christ loved the church. So again, just keeps on going with that same idea. Um, this is I'll, I'll just say when you're so focused on illustrations and metaphors, like that's it's not a great way to build theology. Okay, like typology is a thing. But not everything is typology and not everything is supposed to be like, this is a metaphor that you build your entire argument on. So that's kind of what he's doing. Um, but then he comes to his main stuff here. Three basic options. There are three basic options when it comes to how nations of men are organized. The nations can remain distinct. The nations can disin, uh, disintegrate or the nations can coalesce. This means that the options are nationalism, tribalism, or in, uh, internationalism, which I don't necessarily agree, but that's just what he's saying. Uh, enter the church. Now, the church has the capacity to relate to whatever it is the world is currently doing. The church had to deal with Nero as he was, which is not the same thing as approving of Nero as he was. And we have to relate to a pluralistic society, but that does not make us pluralists. We have to relate to an unbelieving society, but why should that make us unbelievers? We live in idolatrous society, and we are still told to keep ourselves from idols. Uh, so the question should therefore be, what relationship 
finally, <laughs> what relationship between the nations should the church be ready to instruct the princes of the earth to pursue when kings become nursing fathers for the church, when kings bring their honor and glory to, into the church, when the ships of Tarshish bring their silver and gold into the name of God, what shall we teach them? How then should we instruct them? I want to ask you to walk with me up, uh, up the stairs, one step at a time. We were commanded to disciple the nations, and this, I believe, is the crutch. Sorry, I probably, I probably should have done a little bit more prep for the show and cut out quite a bit of this. So my apologies. This is really long, uh, but I want you to ask. Uh, I want to ask you to walk with me up the stairs, one step at a time. We were commanded to disciple the nations, baptizing them. And then he says, what is a baptized nation? So there's a step missing. Do you, do you see it? Do you see the missing, the missing step? <laughs> like, um, he jumps, he, he makes a big jump. And this is, this is typical of all Christian nationalists. All right. The way that they interpret the word nations. So he's talking about the great commission. And he says, we were commanded to disciple the nations. Is that true? Yes. Uh, baptizing them. Is that true? Yes. But then he makes a jump. What is a baptized nation? So he jumped from the plural of reaching the nations to let's focus on a nation. What does that look like? The problem with that is what the word nations mean. Uh, it is it is not talking about a specific nation. All right, let's uh, let's go over to uh, the Bible here. Let's let's go over to the Great Commission. Uh, so this is Matthew twenty eight. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, um, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So, like the big problem that Doug Wilson makes in that article and what he's going to build really his whole argument for Christian nationalism on and what is typical of other Christian nationalists, especially now, like I don't, historically, I'm not dealing with historical Christian nationalism of, you know, what was going on in the Revolutionary War. I'm talking about right now, okay? In uh, these specific theologians today who would kind of fit into some aspects of the Reformed world, they're wanting to build their argument for Christian nationalism on the Great Commission. That's, that's, that's typical of all of them. Uh, and the way that they do that is by looking at this world and seeing nation and running with it. Running with it like a like a Greek like a first year Greek student, <laughs> and just being like, "Oh, it's nation." <laughs> that means that everywhere else it's also nation, and so uh, I can I can take that into the world, and I could be like going and reaching a, a nation, and I could baptize that nation. It could be a holy nation. Um, no, <laughs> what what this word means is people people who belong to a specific area. Uh, so we're, we're talking not just about like, all right, this specific nation, let's say, I don't know, uh, at the, at that time, who should, who should we, do? well, let's just talk Rome, like go and reach Rome, a nation. All right. We're not talking about just Rome. 
We're talking about the whole world. We're talking about all people groups. We're talking about the context of really the story of the entire Bible, of going from one specific people, one physical specific people with the nation of Israel and the gospel expanding, that God opens up the borders and the gospel is going to go to the whole world. Now, I would argue that the the borders were never closed. Israel was supposed to be sharing like they that like sharing the glory of God with others like sharing the that gospel of who God is they they were supposed to be doing that but they didn't really want to do that they just wanted to close off um now they, there were specific things that God told him in different ways to be closed off but like God was wanting to do something through the nation of Israel and now uh, through Jesus Christ has opened that up to the entire world and that's what it means of all nations. So it's talking about all peoples. It's all peoples. That the gospel can reach anybody. It's not just for the Jews anymore. It's for anyone. Anyone who believes in the gospel, they can be saved. That's the point. The point of the Great Commission is that you and I have a job. And that job is to go and reach people for Jesus. And we don't have any borders with that. It doesn't matter that I'm here in Canada. It doesn't matter that... Most likely you're in the United States. doesn't matter if they're all around the world. Anyone can have the gospel. It's beautiful. It's accessible in that way. Um, but it is not just, okay, well, you reach all the nations, every specific nation. And then you can take that and do what, uh, d- uh, do what uh, Doug Wilson has done and get into this whole idea of... Uh, Sorry, I got I got new buttons. I'm trying to figure out how to do all these different things. Uh, where, where's that one? There it is. All right, uh, but that's that's essentially what he's done over here. So let's let's keep on going here. What is a baptized nation? It is a Christian nation. How many of these Christian nations are there supposed to be? No set number is given, but the simple answer is all of them. All the nations of men are to be brought into submission to Christ. Having received his baptism, is there any room for vainglory? Is there space for any of these nations to claim the mantle of Israel as though they were God's chosen and peculiar people? No, because all the nations are to be Christian nations. So what's happening here is he switched from talking about people, which is really what the Great Commission is focused on. It's about reaching people to then reaching nations And what he means by nations is governments. And so that you should be reaching the government of your country in order to make it a Christian government. So he's switched from people to government. And that's what he means by nations. And I'm sure that he would probably argue, no, I don't mean just governments. I'm talking about the people and you can't have a Christian nation uh, as just a government it has to be the people, but essentially for like this whole movement, really what it's about is politics and bringing uh, the, the the law of the Old Testament really upon uh, the people of a country. That's really what it's focused on. Uh, so that that's really what he's saying. No, because all the nations are to be Christian nations. So it's not for him. He doesn't fit into the camp of like the, the racist in this way. There are other things that he said about slavery and other stuff that, you know, I'm not going to say that he's not (laughs) something, uh, um, 
not taking going on a limb for Doug, okay? Um, but I don't think that he's going to fit into the camp of like the the crazy wackadoos of Christian nationalists who are about well, it's because we're a white Christian nation, you know, or uh, because of uh, a mor- morality that exists in uh, this specific people group. Uh, he's, he doesn't fit into that camp. He wants all camps, all nations to be Christian nations with Christian governments. Uh, but in the current climate, is there any possibility way to seek to make America a Christian nation without drawing the charge of Christian nationalism? No, there is no way to do this without drawing that charge. Should we care about this? Not even a little bit. Some will say that it is not possible to make a nation into a Christian nation. Nations don't have immortal souls and cannot be Christian. To which I reply, why did Jesus tell us to do it then? He didn't. (laughs) He didn't. (laughs) He said to go and reach people. And especially for his disciples, they needed to hear that idea of all nations because they wouldn't have gone there. They wouldn't have gone. They didn't want to even go to Samaria. So yeah, like Jesus had to say it that way of all nations for them to understand all people. He's not telling us to go and make Christian nations everywhere. Some will say that it's not possible, to which I would reply, Jesus did. uh, why did Jesus tell us to do it then? Once the nations are discipled and we hang the trumpet in the hall and are studying war no more, so this is his post-mill view, what is the relationship of these nations to be, one to another? It is not to be an international bureaucracy. We are Christian nationalists, after all, not Christian internationalists. I am not one of those uh, rebellious globalists, ick, Uh, But by the same token, we do believe that nations are now all getting along, right? What should we call this international collection of Christian states? I'm glad you asked. My name for it is Mere Christendom. So what he's arguing for is that we go out with the gospel, reach the nations, and impact those governments within those nations to Christianize them, And then we've Christianized the whole world, and that's the point of Christianity. That's mere Christianity for the whole world to be under the rule of Christ in that specific way. This, you know, in uh, Bible college, I went to a very fundamentalist Bible college, and they were always talking about post-mill as being the people who have the fatal flaw of ushering in the kingdom. It's actually legit. (laughs) Like This is basically that and you know it's kind of funny when someone kind of works into the stereotype (laughs) and that's that's essentially what i see happening here now um i'm going to show what what they actually brought up some of the dangers uh, of this view obviously i don't hold this view i don't think any christian should hold this view and I'll, i'll i'll explain a few reasons why as we look at what meet the press said and uh a few other people as well, but I want to interact with you guys. I love having you guys here in the chat and I can see that it's active. Um, so let's, let's see what you guys have to say here. Uh, and let's just say basically be that thing. All right. Uh, okay. Ed, uh, my fear is that the MTP interview could be used to attack evangelicals as a whole, especially since Wilson's answers were technically correct. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that it could be used that way. But I would say the roundtable, I actually think that was probably the best part. And what I heard from those individuals wasn't just like Christians are bad. 
I think actually they use clips from Doug Wilson to do that. But the round table itself, I didn't hear that. I heard more of like, hey, this is the extreme form. And let's talk about that extreme form. That's what I got out of it. I think that it was actually pretty good. But I do think that that could be a danger of taking those those clips uh, from Wilson. Um, Matt's here. Uh, Doug gives a straw man out of the gate. Should be interesting. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't Yoko that broke up the Beatles. I mean, that's debatable. That's debatable. Man, get back. Such a great documentary. I watch it all the time. Um, all right. Uh, Jeremy, uh, the goal should be to see all submit their lives to Christ. While some may agree they operate um, they operate as is changing the law of the land will do the work of the gospel. Yeah, it's a, it's a thing of putting the, the horse before the cart, right? Or the cart before the horse. That's the way that phrase goes. Uh, Michael S. Uh, Michael S., thank you. Thank you specifically you, man. You're the bomb. Michael S., that worked out really well in Europe. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, so people are agreeing. That, yeah, uh, when you do this, we'll talk about that here in a sec. Christian nationalism has never ended well in any political system, ever. The only way it could work is when Jesus is there on an actual throne, like right there in the people, not a millennialist, like, like right there. Uh, and we'll talk about that. John, as always, I agree with Luke daily. Great. So you guys could just, you know, take each other's comments and put them in. That's a callback. Uh, Jeremy, America will be a Christian nation when every American submits to Christ as Lord. Yeah. Uh, every every country will be in the end. How do we get there, Jeremy? That's what they're trying to do. Uh, Sean, this also fits into Doug's view of the end times that believes the church will uh, uh, will Christianize the world and then Christ will come back to an already established kingdom. Yep, that 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 post mill life. Uh, Iron Man, uh, Christian nationalism has never made sense to me. Shouldn't we be focused on spreading the gospel rather than what the law of the land says? Seems like a focus on the wrong thing. A focus on the wrong thing. Man, uh, Michael, uh, the issue I have this with this stuff, besides the issue of equating controlling government with saving souls, is that it brings up the whole question of which version of Christianity right? These are all uh, important points here. Um, Sean agrees. Matt, is this an attempt to recreate the perspective of the Puritans who came to America in the 17th century? I think a little bit. I think a little bit. Uh, I think that's, that's a part of this. Um, but let's, uh, let's look at what, oh, let's see. All right. I have a new way of doing things, so I'm trying to keep up, guys. Bear with me as I try to figure out all the tech stuff here. Um, but let's uh, go over here, and let's look at what they had to say about some of the dangers. 
deals. Yeah, and Theo, where would you draw the line? Because there are many, there are many people on the left side of the political spectrum who say, yeah, you should incorporate more teachings of the Bible mm -hmm. into your public policy. But what is that line where it becomes Christian nationalism? I think the line becomes when people become so dogmatic that they want to step over into a violent space. And what I mean by that is the people who want to impose something on someone else. I think one of the great things about America is that it's a democracy, right? And that America got started by people who did were escaping religious autonomy so they could have religious freedom. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things I think is really important here in the delineation between what is Christian nationalism and what is not Christian nationalism is what are people trying to impose? Are they trying to use their Christian nationalism to do a takeover? Mm -hmm. And then finally, who gets to be included as a Christian you know, in right. America? And I think that's a really important part. Right? Like this is basically uh, what... Uh, Michael S. was saying that, like, what form of Christianity? Like, who gets to say who is Christian? Like, because we have all these disagreements. Like, are are we going to have, like, different political parties within the Christian nation? Like, is that, is that where does this end? Uh, and then, yes, I believe that she, she made a great point in saying, you know, like, there are people, as you said at the beginning, uh, let's play that again. Oh, it doesn't come through. Oh, no. Let's go. Who say, yeah, you should incorporate more teachings of the Bible mm -hmm. into your public policy. That's but true. What so he's not saying like that's bad. He's saying there are people who, you know, are normal Christians who would like the nation to reflect their Christian virtues. Like, that's normal. And, and that would be, you know, the same for Muslims. That would be the same for Jews. You know, of course, as a Christian, I think we're right. So, like, I think that, yes, our nation should reflect our Christian values. Um, but where does it go into that, that realm of Christian nationalism? What she said was that it, it's about when you use force, when you force people into that. And you say, all right, well, you, in order to be a faithful Christian, uh, in order to be a good moral people as a society, you are going to believe this gospel, <laughs> And, and you have to be a Christian to fit into, you know, even how we structure this government like that. That's where like you're imposing your views on others. Now, I'm a Baptist. So as a Baptist, I believe in the separation of church and state like that is a core Baptist principle. Um, and the reason why is look at the Anglican Church. Like today. Uh, the Queen's funeral was today, and she is the head. She was the head, the defender of the faith for the Anglican Church. Now that rests on Charles, which I think he goes to church, <laughs> but that's a little bit different. Um, but the Anglican Church uh, was the Church of England. It, it is the Church of England, the authorized church, and for a long time, those maybe not Baptist congregationalists are our descent or our ancestors. Uh, they they were dealing with persecution, and so they come over. A lot of the Puritans, other types, Presbyterians, uh, different kinds of congregationalists, they come over to uh, the colonies, and they came because of the persecution of the Christian nation, because you had to be an Anglican. The Book of Common Prayer. A lot of people love it nowadays. As Baptists, I go like, what the heck? <laughs> the Book of Common Prayer was like the weapon that they used against us. <laughs> and like, I mean, you read, go look at Bunyan. Go look at, 
Go look at Bunyan. Oh, I can't even like when, this. It's it's way too hard. Uh, but go look at Bunyan. See what he has to say about the Book of Common Prayer. Um, now, if you're Anglican, you're Anglican. So that's that's whatever. But that was like the weapon that was used against people to like say you have to agree with this, and if you don't, you don't get a license to preach. You get thrown in jail, like Bunyan. And that's that's what Christian nationalism can look like. And often throughout history, that's what it looks like. Is is every time, look at history, every time you have a Christian nation, one, I don't think it was ever founded correctly. What it why did Henry set up the Church of England? Because he wanted a divorce. And the the Pope wouldn't give it to him. So he made his own church so that he could do it. Like, and he didn't want like the, the rule and impact and all that. There's political stuff as well, but that's why. All right. Like the founding wasn't right. Look at different, different, uh, societies throughout. Look, Constantine, like, look at that Christian nation. Look at its founding. Look at how it was imposed. Look how it was enforced on people. Was it Christian? I don't believe so. I don't believe as you look through history that you've ever seen a real Christian nation. And the reason why is because unless Jesus is there physically ruling over it, I don't think it's going to work because it has you and me. And we're totally depraved. We're sinners and we're going to sin against each other. And we're not fit to rule over each other spiritually in that way. Only Jesus is. And he is the king of his kingdom. But the United States ain't it. Now, he will rule over the peoples of those, you know, uh, Jeremy brought it up. It will be a Christian nation someday, but it will be because they submit to the Lordship of Christ, not because they belong to this nation. So, that's the first view, okay? Um, but there, there are some others. But first, I did want to say, like, this is, like, typical of all these guys. It's not just Doug Wilson. It's a bunch of other ones, uh, like... Like this, this is Dale Partridge, uh, who is a dangerous teacher. I will say that. Um, he's a dangerous teacher. He's an entrepreneur. And be careful about, be careful of professional apologists and entrepreneurs. They're always chasing new things. And they're switching up teams all the time. That's my own personal view. You disagree? That's fine. But that's, I always say beware people like that who are always changing up their views. You could change your mind. But don't do it every year. All right, Dale Partridge, uh, who is now really into house churches and now into Christian nationalism, now post-millennial, uh, uh, he says the goal of the Great Commission is to make nations filled with Christians, a.k.a. Christian nations. Therefore, nobody should be shocked about the idea of Christian nationalism. That has always been the goal. Fill America with Christians and create a government that honors God. No, <laughs> that is not the Great Commission. Uh, that is a false view of the Great Commission. So that's the first view. Let's talk a little bit about the second view. And we're going to have to kind of do it a little bit fast because for some reason my timer is gone. I don't know. Where's it? Let me go in the window for a sec. And I don't know how to bring it back. What a shame. Let's see what you guys have to say. <laughs> um, Ed. Uh, the Baptist form, obviously, Michael, he says, that's the one that's correct. Uh, <laughs> Matt says, become Baptist. Yeah. Hey, man. Um, 
Uh, Dougie Poo would disagree with my assessment. Yeah, I'd, I think he just he wouldn't watch the stream. <laughs> don't, don't flatter, don't flatter me. Okay, he's not watching. <laughs> uh, Stephen, was Israel a Christian nation? Uh, no, because they didn't know about Jesus. Christian is following after Christ. Now, was it a godly nation? Like, yes, because God was leading that nation. Um, but also they didn't act it sometimes. Uh, Jeremy, so why do you think Doug seems to just forget about the total depravity when talking about this stuff? In this case of my interpretation is perfect type thing. I don't know. I don't know what the answer to that is. It's an inconsistency that I see is like blatant, but I don't, I, I wouldn't be able to speculate why. Um, yeah, fit Vatican city is a country. Does that count? Mm, yeah. And it's not so great. Um, Michael S. Uh, we already tried this stuff when we were founded. Religious freedom was mostly over Protestant denominations oppressing each other, including up to martyrdom. Solid points. All right. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about the other view. So there's, there's that kind of Christian nationalism. And then uh, there is also another kind of Christian nationalism. And I don't have it over here. Let me get this over where did that go yeah right over here all right let's go over here and this is as a christian this will be in a second this will be um you can see all kinds of stuff over there um but this will be um Al Mohler, the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. This is him saying that he is also a Christian nationalist. We have the left uh, routinely speaking of me and of others as, uh, as Christian nationalists, as if we're supposed to be running <laughs> from that. Uh, and, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I'm not about to run from that. Uh, I'm, I'm not about to join their one world order. I, I still don't know what he means by one world order. I watched the like context don't really understand what he's meaning by that. Maybe if I read the book that he's got there, I would understand what he's saying there. Uh, but he apparently identifies as a Christian nationalist. Um, and that they point that out in the Meet the Press episode. And last week, um, well, Al Mohler, he got in a little bit of trouble uh, because uh, he went uh, to a conference, something like Pray Something Stand. It was some political conversation. And uh, this is what this is what uh, Al Mohler had to say. Matters, but every single election is followed by the next one. And faithfulness now is absolutely necessary. And frankly, just given the temporality of life, we've got to give primary attention to faithfulness right now. 2022 in the United States means votes matter. And we have a responsibility to make certain that Christians understand the stewardship of the vote, which means the discipleship of the vote, which means the urgency of the vote, the treasure of the vote. And they need to understand that insofar as they do not vote or they vote wrongly, they are unfaithful. Because the vote is a powerful stewardship. Every yeah, yeah you, can, you can tell, you know, why people were a little bit upset about that one, Al. Um... So I don't know what it looks like to disciple a vote, by the way. Like, <laughs> I studied a lot at seminary about discipleship, did it in local church ministry. 
discipleship is part of the Christian life. Um, but I don't know how to disciple a vote or to disciple someone in voting. Uh, weird. I don't like it when people take biblical words and they throw them on top of secular terms. Um, but a lot of people got upset about that and I was one of them and I am still waiting for Al Mohler to come out and say what he actually meant. He had actually probably, probably the most like flippant I think he's ever been to criticism. Now Al Mohler has been criticized a lot. Look at how he changed Southern Seminary. Like in the early days, there's a lot of criticism and he dealt with it, I think, in a pretty good way. Um, this time he was just kind of flippant. He threw out a tweet and was like, This is what I've always said, basically. And like, I mean, you can look it up. I'm not like mischaracterizing it. It's, it was pretty flippant. Um, and so uh, he, he basically was like, This is what I've always said. And this, like, if you need any clarification, here it is. And uh, he did not clarify. He said that people who vote wrongly or don't vote are unfaithful. I don't know whether he's talking about the stewardship of the vote or whether he's talking about with God. From the context, I watched the talk, the entire talk. Uh, it is unclear. Uh, and uh, I think if you watch it, you're going to take it as unfaithful to God. Um, because he's not talking about like some part of the stewardship of the vote and then gets into that. I think it's, I think he's talking about being unfaithful to God. Um, so that's, that's very troubling, but I will say he is not the same as Doug Wilson. Uh, Doug Wilson is combatant. Uh, part of like the meet the press thing was focused on the people of the town feeling that combative nature, um, from the church and then giving it back, right? Because it's the world. Like, they're just going to be like, what, you're going to be jerks to us? We're going to be jerks to you, you know? Like, so, like that, they talked about that, like the battle over Moscow, basically, like this ideology battle. Um, and then, like, shutting down businesses from church owners because, you know, they're saying these things and partaking in these things. Uh, I don't I don't see that same thing with Al Mohler. Uh, I think that what he's talking about Christian nationalism is a little bit tamer um, and I say that because of who he is and what he has said in the past. Uh, he is a Baptist. He is the president of the Southern Baptist Convention, so he would believe in the separation of church and state. Uh, whether that was well represented in his talk in that lecture, <sighs> debatable. Uh, but he would hold to that. Uh, and really, I think that that clip needs to be tempered by some other stuff. Like even another specific clip. Uh, let's let's look over here at what he has to say about the the Christian and, and the government and you know their their participation in nationalism. Here's what he has to say. Then we're also uh, in Scripture forbidden from any utopian uh, assignment to government. Government can never deliver those ultimate promises. It cannot claim. It's Jesus who said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's and unto God the things that are God's. Jesus himself, in the most revolutionary, uh, politically speaking, of verses in the entire Bible, said, no, here's what you do. You render unto Caesar what Caesar's. There's a proper patriotism. The Apostle Paul, when he was on trial for his life, uh, said, by the way, I am a citizen of the Roman Empire. As a Roman, you cannot do this to me. Uh, Proper, there's a proper patriotism there. He said, hey, I have, I've been a law-abiding member of, of, and citizen of the Roman Empire. Recognize me as such. 
But it's Paul who also said, we are citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And uh, there's good reason for us to, uh, uh, to believe that shortly after Paul wrote some of these very words, he was martyred by the Roman government. Uh, but uh, they could not sever him from Christ. So I, th- I think that he, I think that he's different than Doug because he's said things like this. If you look at Doug Wilson and his past, it isn't anything like this. <laughs> like, like again, like a lot of you guys are new to Doug Wilson. Like I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. I remember being like told about Doug Wilson. I had a friend who was in it at his church, uh, when he went to, to college, like, I, I've known about Doug Wilson for a very long time, and he has always sounded that exact same way. Uh, so that that's he hasn't changed. Um, I you won't find things like this from from Doug Wilson. Al Mohler, I think, is a little bit different. And if I misspoke, yes, uh, the president of Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, not the convention. Um, but I think that makes him a little bit different. Now, the way that I would say it is this first view with Doug Wilson with Christian nationalism and what I would say is like a a, a worse view of Christian nationalism. I don't know why Al Mohler likes that term. When I look at his stuff, I don't see it as Christian nationalism. I'm very concerned at what he said uh, at that on that platform. Um, but I don't view him as the same as a Christian nationalist like I do uh, Doug Wilson. Uh, Doug Wilson, like that view, they're trying to overtake. Uh, they are trying to, um, they think that Christians really must overtake government. or like, And I don't mean like an overthrow and like a coup and all that kind of stuff. I'm talking really about the idea of uh, getting in there into the government and with, you know, Christians in government, making it into a Christian nation, enforcing Christian principles across the board. Um, and again, you know, who defines Christian? Is it just like one strict view of like, is it Christ church's doctrinal statement? Like, cause they're not even like their denomination is new cause he made it but, um, so that, that's really problematic for all the reasons that we talked about. Uh, but then this form I believe is more of like that Christians must engage politics, which I, I believe is different. Like that they must engage the politics at where it's at to impact the, the nation to be more, um, more aligned with Christian values. I, I think that's where he's at. Now, maybe that's where you're at, Um, but I don't like the stuff that he's been saying lately, especially that platform thing. Uh, Al, I think you know, uh, I think you like, you should know that people deserve to hear what you meant by unfaithful and like, what is voting wrongly? Because if it's not just, you know, voting how you vote, I mean, that's, that's a big deal. So now let's, let's get into like the political punching bag of evangelicalism. Let's talk about Tim Keller. (laughs) I just feel like anytime Tim Keller gets brought up, it's only to like, just like bash the guy. And to me, that's, that's crazy. I love Tim Keller. I'll say it on my channel. You guys can clip it out. I love Tim Keller. Let me, I love Tim Keller. All right. I love him. I I've been deeply impacted by his stuff. Um, you know, like, come on, 
anyone who is involved in church planting knows this is it, man. <laughs> like this is like one of the main books that any church planter, and I think anyone involved in local church ministry should be using and referencing often. Um, his book on preaching, his book on prayer, his books on knowing God, knowing God was like, or uh, not knowing it, um, um, the reason for God. That's a great book, fantastic book, one of the greatest books on apologetics I think ever written. Uh, I really mean that. So like Tim Keller is great, but a lot of people don't like his politics. And, you know, as much as I like him, I don't necessarily agree with his politics either. But I think this is a third way. So there's like the idea of overtaking the government. Then there's the idea of Christians must engage government and like the big emphasis on must must engage government which i believe is what al moeller would be characterized by um and then there's like another way of talking about it that christians should engage politics and i i think that's really where tim keller is lined up so let's let's look at a twitter thread uh and uh see what he has been teaching here uh for actually a long time uh so let's let's go over here all right good i thought that almost went away all right so long thread some have said that my being attacked by the both the right and the left is a sign i am teaching truth because truth is found in the middle between extremes i appreciate the support but that's not accurate and this was in 2021 and honestly, a lot of people, when they talk about his politics, they come back to this thread. <laughs> they don't reference like his books. They don't reference, uh, you know, his articles at TGC. They really reference this, this thread. This is why I wanted to show it to you. Uh, first, it's important to note everyone occupies some middle because there's always someone to one side or the other on the issues uh, who thinks you have compromised. Nearly everyone is in the middle. The question is, which middle is the right one. Second, Christians should never seek a middle ground for its own sake. The goal should be to take positions that do justice to the biblical teaching, regardless of whether the world sees you in its categories as an extremist or a moderate. Uh, third, often Christians look um, look like they are taking a third way. This is kind of where a lot of these people talk about Tim Keller in the third way, uh, not because they are moderates, but because in being biblical, they combine what the world considers extreme positions that normally cannot go together. That's I think that's important. The Bible's view of humanity in the Imago Dei is far more optimistic about human nature than Rizal, uh, and yet its view of human sin is far more pessimistic than Hobbes, both at once. It might, not, uh, it might be fair to call that a third it might might be fair to call that a third way between alternatives but it is not a half and half middle way fourth when christians uh formulated the doctrine of christ's person was it a halfway between uh, docetism uh, and ebonism no jesus is not half god and half human but fully god and fully human so basically what people accuse tim keller on is looking at you know the the left and in this like talking about american politics that would be the democrats and the right of republicans and saying that he's going right in the middle 
Um, I was looking at some something uh, another person who was writing a review of one of his books said, and uh, he was like, it always seems that when you're talking about Tim Keller, he's in the middle of some view. Like he's in the middle on this position. He's in the middle on that position. And uh, he, he like, I think he was saying that it's fishy. Well, sometimes like being not in one camp and not in the other doesn't mean you're necessarily in the middle between these two. And I would say for those people who are like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's kind of cowardly to not have like a firm view. Well, say that to every person who wouldn't claim to be a Calvinist or an Arminianist. A lot of Christians. Are you going to call all of them cowards? No, they just didn't come to either of those views. Uh, now, it's too bad because they could have gone to the right one and been a Calvinist, but, you know, <laughs> whatever. Uh, <laughs> but um, but it's not cowardly. It's just saying like, hey, you know, I'm in, I'm in this different view. And often those people are attacked more because they don't fit into either of the camps. So they have people attacking them from both sides. So uh, just a few things to, to think about here. Uh, but the biblical doctrine is not a middle way. Uh, it diagonalizes the alternative. It subversively fulfills the alternative. Um, that is, it fully critiques both and yet fulfills the best aspirations of both at the same time without merely combining them. Borrowing from them, the biblical position is not somewhere on a spectrum between alternatives. It is off the spectrum, yet acknowledges the concerns of all the positions. Fifth, my main criticism of so many Christians on social media who attack from the right or from the left is that they uh, unknowingly wed the faith with uh, secular political ideologies. On the right, people make idols of individual freedoms and of the market and demonize government. On the left, people make idols of sexual uh, expression, racial identity, and the state, and demonize religion and love of country. Biblical faith sees all these things as good things, but uh, relativizes them uh, before God and his love and grace. All things were made good, Genesis 1. All things are fallen, Genesis 3. Yet God, through Jesus, is redeeming all things. And then... um, He gives a book recommendation. So basically what Tim Keller is saying is that you don't have to fit into either of these political uh, camps. You don't have to be on the far left. You don't have to be on the far right. You should be involved. But in this book, uh, there's three chapters basically uh, about how Christians should engage culture. Uh, And he gives different views. And one one of the chapters... Uh, He's basically saying that how you do that could be just through you. Like he gives like something about like, I think it was Luther who first gave it. Ed will know. But Luther, I think, first talked about like how to be a Christian shoemaker and that you you become a Christian shoemaker by being a really good shoemaker. And so basically you just live your life as a Christian and that impacts, you, you know, your industry. And that impacts your your community and that impacts your country and, you know, all of that. You just living your Christian life. Uh, so it kind of gets into like the two kingdoms view. Um, but I wouldn't say that like some, like, let me pull this up. Let's go. Let's go here. All right. Uh, this is, uh, this is actually from this book. 
Uh, and Ed says, yep. So I'm assuming that I was right about it being Luther. Um, but this is basically he pulls and says, all right, there are different, there are different ways of dealing with society. And basically there are four of them. There's the two kingdoms. We'll talk about that in a sec. There's relevance. And that's just basically giving into culture. Uh, and then there's countercultural, who would be like the Anabaptists and all those Amish people who run away from everything with society. There's the transformationist. Uh, so they, these would be the people who we're talking about. This is, this is Christian nationalism would fit into that. And he, he says in the middle, if you could see it here, um, let me get rid of that. He talks about like, there's little common grace and the more you think about common grace, basically how much you think like that God has given people the ability to do good things. All right. Then that might affect different, uh, different ways of how you deal with culture, uh, that there are some things in culture that can be good. And the more you think about that, uh, like the higher you think about that, you'll probably be more aligned with these top two. And if you think really lowly about that, which Christian nationalists definitely do, they would, they would be into one of these, uh, further on the bottom. Um, but um, the relevance one, that's just people going liberal and just giving into culture and just, you know, sacrificing their theology at the altar of cult culture. And th so they go that way. This two kingdoms view is interesting. And I would say for myself, I would be more akin to this. Uh, and I don't think that Keller would actually describe himself. Actually, I know he hasn't in some specific things that he's put out as someone who is part of the two kingdoms. He sees some errors in it and I do too. Um, but I think overall it's a, it's a good way to view it. That's just me though. Um, but basically this is that there are two ways that God is ruling in this world. He's ruling through Christians, uh, and he is ruling, you know, like, like science. Okay. Like gravity. God's in charge of gravity. He's ruling over it in that way. God's in charge of what is happening in the world, orchestrating all of those things. So he is ruling in those ways, but that's a different in how he rules in the hearts of Christians. Um, so we operate in these two spheres and like, because we are physical beings in this world and because we are people who believe in Jesus, who submit to his Lordship. So he is our King. And so there's two specific ways in how we live our lives. And so sometimes those things are going to come together and sometimes they're not, um, you know, like the way that you sleep, <laughs> what, what side of the bed you're on doesn't really matter. Right. Like that's just kind of something about your physical life. Uh, now obviously voting would probably be a little bit more important than that. Uh, yeah. And Kuiper would be like the standard, uh, on, on this whole thing as well. But for people today, they're going to think of it as mostly fitting with Keller. So like the biggest problem for Christians, um, you know, is it really the stuff with politics? Like these are three different views that you can take. Mine is closer to the last one where, you know, I'm just going to live my Christian life. Uh, I don't really care to talk about politics all that much. This is the most that I talked about politics in a very long time. Uh, but it's mostly about how we as Christians deal with politics. Um, but I would say that we live our life faithfully as a Christian and we vote for Christian things. 
you know, you shouldn't be opposing your Christian values because, you know, a political party tells you to vote this way, whichever it is. I'm in Canada. Our political parties are totally different. All right. Um, but wherever you're at, you shouldn't just vote with a specific party. I think that's biblical. I think that that's not taking the third way necessarily or the middle way. It's just taking a different way and looking at things and saying, all right, which which person I'm voting for, what party I'm voting for, do they align with my views? And as best as they can, then you can vote. I also don't think it's a sin uh, not to vote. Uh, some like Al Mohler obviously says that you're being unfaithful if you don't vote or if you vote wrongly. I don't believe that's accurate. I don't think you're going to find that in scripture. Um, that kind of political engagement as some kind of barometer of some standard of faithfulness. Um, I don't, I don't think you're going to see it there. Uh, so I don't think that you have to vote. I don't think that you, uh, are commanded in scripture to do that. Now you should vote your conscience. And that's a big part of it when it comes to these gray issues, like whether you should vote or not, like you should be ruled by your conscience, reliant on biblical principles to, to do that. Uh, so that's, that's kind of where I stand on these, these issues of politics. I don't believe that uh, a nation should become a Christian nation because that, you know, like here's, here's our problem. Uh, you know, we're kind of late on time, but I want to show this anyway. Uh, we got a big problem going on, and it's not politics. It's actually theology. Uh, today, the the state of theology, which is a biannual um, study that's done, uh, Ligonier is part of it, I think. I don't know. Isn't Christianity Today part of it? Uh, I might be wrong on that. Uh, but they did their study. It came out today. Maybe you've seen it going around. Um, but there are a couple things that are deeply troubling to me. Uh, and, uh, one is that politics doesn't seem to be our problem. Like the politics here are actually, all right, let's go, let's go to this one. Uh, so this is, uh, Christians should be silent on issues of politics, true or false. And look at, look at the false 40%, 21% somewhat disagree with that. And then only 13 and 17 all right, so 70% would disagree with that. And I'm not saying you're wrong, by the way. I'm just saying like, okay, that's uh, 70% of Christians would say that. Uh, then we go over to this one. Uh, sex outside of traditional marriage. Um, this, this one, strongly disagree. Uh, somewhat disagree. Somewhat agree. Strongly agree. So again, we're, we're on the right track there. Now it's not as good as it should be, but it's going up. Like if you look at past years, it's going up of people who would say, yeah, you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage. So politically, like our problem isn't about like our politics going wrong as far as Christians go. It's stuff like this. This is just like insane. Jesus was a great teacher, but he was not God. That's the statement. True or false. Amongst Christians, strongly disagree, somewhat disagree, 22% say they would agree with that, somewhat agree with that, 31% strongly agree with that. They ain't Christians, bro. <laughs> like, this is basic. 
but he was not God. 31 and 22. So what is that? 53. <laughs> 53% agree with this statement? Guys, our problem isn't about politics. Our problem is theology. Like we need to actually disciple people. We need to be working with people to help them understand that when you see statements like this, like, no, <laughs> that is so false. Um, but it seems like we're just kind of wrapped up in politics and we'd rather talk about that than theology. Like we need to be working on churches, not on governments. Like focus on the church, have them understand the gospel a little bit better before we're like, let's run this thing. Let's run this world. <laughs> like, eh. Anyways, guys, this was all my, my views. If you disagree, that's okay. We can have conversations about it. But those, I think, are the main three views uh, of how Christians approach politics. And I would probably be more akin to that last one. But if you feel differently, let me know. Anyways, I will see you in the next stream. I hope you have a great rest of your day. See you later.